If you've never been charged by a grizzly bear, you don't know what you've missed. So in just a minute, I'm going to tell you. Well, hi there, and welcome to our podcast. I'm Jack Frost, coming to you from Anchorage with our weekly potlatch, which we call From My Back Porch, I Can See Alaska. This is where we talk about this fascinating land of Alaska. The characters, history, oddities, the news, the ideas, the events that make up the great land. And we're delighted to have you along for this week's show. I've got the fire stoked, the cabin is warm, and the coffee is hot. So kick off your mucklucks, grab a chair, and wiggle your toes in my bearskin rug, and let's talk. When we talk with people who don't live in Alaska, one of the very first questions they ask is, have you seen any polar bears? Sadly, the answer is, "Uh uh-uh, no. You see, Alaska is just about the size of the entire western United States. And polar bears only live in the very far north, in an area that's very hard to get to. And damn near uninhabitable once you are there. And polar bears need cold and ice to be happy. And despite what you hear on the network news, they are not drowning and they are quite happy because there's a lot of cold and ice these days. They are not dying off. In fact, a quick check with Alaska Fish and Wildlife confirms that indeed there are more polar bears in Alaska now than ever before. But they're sticking to the far north in places with names like Teller and Tin City. And I don't travel to those places, so I've never seen a polar bear outside of a zoo. But bears, big grizzly bears, well, that's another story. In fact, it's a whole lot of stories. But i got a couple of personal experiences I'll share with you now. For the past 15 years, I've gone moose hunting with the same group of guys. The leader of the pack, so to speak, owns a cabin in the heart of the most beautiful part of Alaska, the Iliamna country, in particular an area around the far east end of Lake Iliamna, where the beautiful gin-clear Iliamna River finally joins the big water. This group of Alaskan city dwellers who grew up hunting and fishing in Alaska spends the better part of a week in early September in my friend's cabin on what we sometimes refer to as a fishing trip disguised as a moose hunt. And in the Iliamna country, one thing is fairly certain. Sometime during the week, you're going to see a bear, generally more than one. It might be a big mama with two roly-poly mischievous cubs that she quickly disciplines by boxing their ears. And that's a funny sight to see, by the way. It might be a boar trying to fatten up on fish by swimming down the river, his head under the water, looking for fish to scoop up and eat. It could be a young black bear chowing down on the last of the cranberries for the season. But mostly the bears will be too busy minding their business to pay any attention to humans. Mostly. But once in a while, you could run into a young bear, not used to humans, who appears to be wondering if they'd be good to eat. On one hunting excursion, I ran into such a bear. My mates in the cabin go hunting at the crack of dawn until about noon, and then go back out around five for the last four hours before nightfall. 
The theory is that those are the times that the moose are moving. That's the story we tell. The truth is the hours from noon to four are prime nap time. For humans, not moose. One fine day, we're ready to go out for the afternoon and evening hunt, and my rifle at that time, a bolt-action .30-06, had misfired twice during the morning hunt, firing not when I pulled the trigger, but when I closed the bolt. Now, having your gun fire when you're not expecting it is disconcerting and, of course, dangerous. So I had to put my gun in the gun rack and take it to my gunsmith when I got home. Meantime, I borrowed a Browning Automatic .30-06. That solution was offered to me just before we were scheduled to leave the cabin, so I quickly accepted the offer of using the wife's gun and took a three-wheeler down to my assigned spot overlooking a nearby meadow that looked moosey. Then, while observing the meadow and contemplating where I might find the second bottle of Balvini scotch for the evening bull session, I suddenly realized I didn't know when the last time that this browning automatic I was holding had been cleaned. The thought was important. You see, a fine precision rifle like a browning automatic that had been under a bed for the last two years was likely in need of a good cleaning to function properly. If an automatic is dirty, it could be prone to jamming. Clearing a jammed rifle could mean that you miss those critical few seconds in which to get off a second shot, should one be needed. If one is shooting at a moose, that time lapse would mean the moose had escaped, and if you shot once and wounded him, you would have no choice but to follow him the rest of the night, in the woods, in the dark, to take him out of his misery. But if one is shooting at a charging bear, a jammed rifle could mean instant, horrible death. My lonely vigil at the meadow was through. The sun was too far down on the horizon to chance taking a shot. So I stepped out of the woods up onto the road. Sixty yards to my right stood a young but large grizzly I judged to be about three years old. Old bears are pretty smart. They don't want any part of a fight unless they're very mad or protecting their cubs or starving. Otherwise, they'll generally try to avoid you. Young bears are not very smart. They are very curious, and they will eat anything they think looks tasty. I had a premonition that he thought I looked tasty. I looked at the bear, waved my arms, and yelled at him, hoping that he was smarter than he looked. He wasn't. He just cocked his head and stared at me harder. That wasn't good. Bears have notoriously weak eyesight, which meant he might decide to get closer for a better look. I looked at the rifle in my hand. I'd already made up my mind that if I pulled the trigger on that automatic, it would be as a last resort. Again, I cursed myself for not knowing if the rifle had been cleaned recently. It meant I might have only one chance to shoot before it jammed. So I waved both arms over my head again, holding the rifle in one hand, trying to make myself look bigger. That's right out of the books. The bear just stared harder. Thinking frantically, I decided to try to back out of there. I took one step backward. Nothing happened. Good. I took a second step backward. The instant my heel hit the ground, the bear erupted. He covered 50 of those 60 yards in nothing flat. A bear can outrun a racehorse for a short distance. 
In fact, by the time I got the rifle down from over my head to onto my shoulder trying to target that galloping bear, he was right there, ten yards away. He sort of skidded on the dirt road and came to a stop. He was staring at me intently. I could have reached out and touched him with the rifle barrel. Okay, two things about that. One, I admit, running down the road, he was just a blazing furball. I confess to thinking, if I only have one shot, what will be the most critical place to hit? And in that mass of fur, where is that spot? Second, he stared at me. I had read enough about bears to know that he was challenging me. He was showing me he was the alpha male. The book says I was supposed to drop my head and eyes and not look directly into his eyes. Right. I couldn't take my eyes off his eyes. I was riveted on his eyes, reading his eyes. I wanted to know what he was going to do before he knew. I tried to think, but it was like my mind was trapped in a tub of jello. All I could think of was to talk to him. Now, generally, I'm not often at a loss for words. But what do you say to a bear? I said anything I could think of, but I said it soft and gentle. Bear, you don't want to do this. Your mother would be so mad you should mind what she told you. Hey, what the heck did she tell you? I said everything I could think of to say to that bear, and when I couldn't think of anything more... I said it again, and the whole time he just stared at me. Then his pink tongue came out and he licked his lips. Oh, that was bad. Even worse, the setting sun was filtering through the trees behind me and fell across his eyes. His eyes gleamed bright red, you know, like you sometimes see in the movies with the devil bear or something. I don't know how long we stood there. A minute? Five minutes? Maybe a half hour. I have no idea. Was I afraid? I didn't know it, except that my mind would obviously not work very well. I wasn't terrorized. I wasn't a helpless puddle. But I sure as hell wasn't nonchalant. I was thinking, I'll probably get that one shot. So where should I shoot him? You know, after ten years of thinking about it, I still don't know where I should shoot. I could do another fifteen minutes on what was wrong with every choice I thought I had. So I just talked. And I guess I pretty well bored him to pieces because finally he dropped his eyes, dropped his head, turned toward me, which had my finger twitching on the trigger, but he just walked across the road in front of me as if to say, I'm not afraid of you. And then he disappeared into the brush. Instantly, he was gone. I never heard a bush rustle or a twig snap. Nothing. From that point on, I had no idea where he was. He was just gone. I walked a hundred yards back to the four-wheeler I'd parked into a ditch and hightailed it back to the cabin, breaking out in a cold sweat about the time I got there. The final part of the story is this. I hunted with the guys the rest of the week. I slept like a baby in the cabin. On the last day, I flew with Mark Bledsoe, my hunting, fishing buddy, with a Cessna 180 on floats. 
and when I got home that evening, my wife was already in bed. She asked me about the hunt, and I told her the story of the bear. And she said, wow, that was quite an adventure. So then I got a shower and came to bed, and she was already asleep. But for me, who slept well when I was at the cabin, home was different. For the next two weeks, every time I lay down and closed my eyes, I saw that damn bear charging. He scared me to death. more bear stories available and in our next podcast maybe i'll tell you a couple more thanks for being here and i hope you're with us next time i'm jack frost and from my back porch i can see alaska <laughs>